0: and welcome to the Business Aviation Collective podcast, sponsored by LD Aviation. Today we get a chance to talk to Zach Birch. He is with the Naples Airport Authority, specifically he's the Community Outreach and Communications Director. He's also part of the Historical and Archaeological Preservation Society for Collier County, which is right there in Naples. And a little bit further down in the podcast, you're going to hear him tell us about Hurricane Ian and how all that went down last year. Welcome, Zach.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, appreciate it.
0: Yeah, appreciate you being here with us. I love the fact that you are on a little bit different side of the people we run through the podcast because you are on the airport side, which when we're doing scheduling, dispatching, of course, we couldn't do our jobs without you guys making an airport ready and available for us and working and all the lights. So before I kind of get into what you do in your current job, we kind of talked a little bit about this before, but you didn't start out in aviation, did you?
1: No, no. I, I uh, grew up most of my life just knowing that I was going to be an attorney until I got to the point where I was finishing college and decided I didn't actually want to be an attorney and trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I still had an interest in in the law and and, and lawmaking and, and th- that sort of aspect. So I did a couple of political campaigns in Florida, and then ultimately I went to work for the Florida House of Representatives as an aide to one of the representatives uh, representing an area down here uh, three counties down here in southwest florida i mean it was a great experience got a got a chance to work in a lot of different fields with a lot of different agencies and and it was it was a really exciting time and it's an exciting thing to do especially as a young person being able to spend time at the capitol and going back and forth both in the district and at the capitol so it was it was a lot of fun and a good experience but it was also I think there's a time limit on that. There's a, to me, there was a time limit on how long I wanted to keep traveling and being away so much right. as I, uh, met my wife and, and, you know, the desire to be gone quite so much was far diminished. And so right. ended up leaving the legislature and went to go, I went to the, uh, the Florida department of transportation and uh, worked there as their government affairs and then as the communications manager for the district one which is again 12 counties down here in southwest florida and had the opportunity to work on a lot of projects some aviation projects um you know some hangar projects and some couple of bridge projects actually into our commercial service airport down here the new uh, air traffic control tower at rsw was was one of the projects that helped fund but a lot of it was obviously roads and bridges that's a big focus for for fdot so it did a lot of a lot of time a lot of activity with the road and bridge side and, and the pedestrian and bike side but did have some some interaction with the aviation side though not as much as that and then unfortunately we all experienced COVID, and that was kind of a turning point in that in that aspect you know in, in late february or i guess maybe early march We got sent to go work from home for two weeks
0: (laughs) yeah um
1: to stop the spread and and you know at first it was interesting it was you know scary right everyone was a little nervous what was going to happen sure and but it was for two weeks and we were going to be home and then 10 months later i was still working from home and when you do communications it's tough yeah we were doing no public meetings no public hearings no real public interaction. There wasn't a lot of media coverage. If the story wasn't about COVID, it, it didn't need to be on the news. So mm. it, it was it was tough role and position to do that remotely and to do that when there's so little interest on, on your field and your projects. And so, right. thankfully, there was a, an opening here at the airport for, for a communications manager. Mm-hmm. And I decided to go ahead and try to try to take that opportunity and came in for interview and and thankfully got the position. I've been here almost three years now and it's a great place to work. It's an exciting field to work in. Every day is different and it's, it's just been great. And so I've been here almost three years now and looking forward to many more.
0: That's awesome. And I know y'all are just listening, but I can see what's right behind Zach. Zach has an awesome window right behind him that he can see what looks to be like the control tower and the entire airport behind him. So
1: yeah, look right out at our main GA ramp. So I see jets come and go, pistons and turbo tr- props come and go. I can see pretty much the intersection of both runways that we have here and the tower and customs. So it's a pretty good view. It's a it's a good place to work. It's it's not like looking out at the business park or something like that. Sure. Oh, that's awesome. It's certainly better than looking out my back window at home.
0: <laughs> right?
1: For <laughs> almost a year.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah. I feel you. That was a huge jumping off point, I think, for a lot of people. A lot of people transition jobs, learn new skills. So that's a, that's really cool.
1: Yeah. And it had a you know, it had an obviously an impact on everyone everywhere in the world, but it had a huge impact here at the at the airport as well. Uh-huh. You know, Florida was a state with Probably fewer restrictions than some others, um, sure. except for a short period of time in, in May of 2020, when overnight our business here at the airport, we lost 70% for a couple of weeks when everything shut down here. Okay. Um, shortly thereafter, the, the governor here reopened most things to, to reopen. And as COVID drug on and restrictions stayed in place in other in other states, more and more people felt like they wanted to come to Florida. Yeah, We were already having people move here, but that was a huge driver. And because of COVID and obviously the health concerns that people had, those that could um, obviously chose to fly privately um, mm-hmm. to reduce their risk of exposure, right? Not being wanting to be in a, an airplane with hundreds of other people at the time. Absolutely. So it was a huge driver for GA, I think, uh, throughout the country, but especially here and. And, and 2020 was a record year for us. 2021 was a record year for us. 2022 was a record year for us, and we've we've come back to earth a little bit this year, back more towards what 2021 was. But it was just a huge a huge driver in terms of traffic and and the amount of uh, both operations and fuel sales here at the airport. Um, so it, it was a crazy time to start working here too. As people, I was like, "Is this normal?" <laughs> and people were like, "No, no, this is." So.
0: Yeah, I had I, I know uh, quite a few people who picked up and moved out of some of the states that had some more restrictions right on. Over I think, Florida,
1: b- you know, between not wanting to necessarily follow all the restrictions. And again, this isn't a comment on whether they were right or wrong, but that's how mm-hmm. some people felt. And then for a lot of those people who were now, like I was for a long time, working remotely mm-hmm. and realized that they didn't have to keep going to an office in a big city. Yeah and they could continue to work remotely from a place that has beaches that you can go to all year you can play golf all year you know it was a more and more attractive thing like hey i don't need to stay here in the big city i can go to where i normally vacation and stay there whether it's permanently or maybe for the season or to try it out and so i think that that uh, increase in remote working was another big driver especially in what we saw is a little bit of an increase in a younger crowd here, a more okay. working age group that we have here. And we've seen at the airport to supplement our normal retiree heavy population.
0: Interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, because the younger people are the ones probably who are having a lot of options and that can do the remote work. I suppose mm-hmm. any, anybody, but yeah, and they're like, oh, I'm going to go sit on the beach.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll work from home in the morning and then go to the beach and maybe play golf. And then I can, you know, go out on the boat and I'll do some more work. And yeah, if you don't have to report to your office every day, Mm -hmm. you don't really need to be close to it.
0: Sure. Well, Florida is definitely an awesome option. And Naples specifically, beautiful area. So I want to talk about kind of what you do on a daily basis at the airport, because you're the communications and community outreach director so I'm kind of curious what you do specifically, and then maybe what does the airport authority do in general?
1: Sure. So the airport authority, we run this one airport, uh, the Naples Airport, which is a, a, a pretty big, a pretty busy GA-only airport here in Naples. Uh, there are three other airports here in the county, all GA, that are a little smaller than us. We're certainly the biggest one around, but we we operate the airport here, and we also operate the only FBO here. So we're the airport and the FBO. There are a lot of private hangars and some, some other, you know, charter companies who handle their own things, but, but we operate the, the FBO here. And so we, we do everything from operations to FBO, obviously finance, accounting, communications, airport management, everything. So not me, certainly I don't play all those roles. There's a (laughs) hundred plus other folks who, who, who are much smarter than I am, but. My role m- mainly is to promote the airport, to talk about the airport. Our, uh, my office, our office really focuses also on noise. Um, yeah. if you, if you've looked at an aerial of our airport, when we were built, this was the hinterlands, right? Nobody was ever gonna live out here. This mm-hmm. was a swamp that nobody would ever want to be on this side of the river. Mm-hmm. Um, we're only about a mile from the beach, but, but we're on the other side of the Gordon river. From town, and nobody was ever going to want to be out here, so just build the airport way out there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now we are obviously completely surrounded by residential development with uh, one exception of a, a a small industrial park to our northeast and so, as with virtually all airports we we do get a lot of concerns and uh, and a lot of uh, comments about noise because. There are a lot of homes that surround the airport immediately. And then also within a couple of miles, you know, as, as our jets, especially in our piston aircraft are at a lower altitude when they're arriving or departing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so that's a lot of what I do. We handle the noise comments that come in from the community. And we also deal with folks who fly during our voluntary curfew. It's, it is voluntary, yeah. but we do contact them to try to remind them about the, the impact that it has on the community and the impact that it has on the airport. As, as people continue to be upset about things like flying at night, it mm-hmm. does have a, a potential impact on the future of the airport as well. So we do a lot of work with that, but we do a lot of other fun things too. We do all the events here. So right now we actually just got this week, even our, our, uh, approval from the FAA to, we're going to do a runway 5k, uh, here oh, in partnership with our local running club. We do other kinds of events, both for the general public. We also do events for our tenants. We've got nearly 400 based aircraft here. So we, we try to do lunches and events where we get them together so that our tenants can talk to each other, but they can also talk to our staff in a, in a more relaxed environment, right? Not always a, "I need you to do this, or here's your bill, sure. <laughs> sure. uh, you yep. know, and so they can have those, those conversations in a much more sort of friendly atmosphere. And we do lots of presentations. I go out, yeah, you know, should probably. 50 plus times a year and it's not not just me there's a couple other folks in my office too and we do presentations to HOAs community groups Rotaries Kiwanis anybody that will have us to talk about the history of the airport the uh, value the benefits of the airport you know we do talk about noise because we know it's an issue especially depending on what part of the community we're in we talk about the efforts that we're making. We, as A lot of people probably know we just finished a part 150 study earlier this year and submitted to the FAA and we're waiting on their final rulings on on the things we submitted.
0: So uh, what is the, I'm gonna, sorry, interrupt. What is the part 150 study? What is it yeah, so looking at?
1: For for an airport or an airport operator that has noise concerns, the, the FAA created a process. It's called a part 150 study. It's a um, that simply refers to the part of the part 150 of the code of federal regulation, um, and it's where airports evaluate noise. So you, <laughs> the first half of the study, you evaluate noise, where it is, how, how much it is, and you develop these maps with, uh, these sort of contour lines to show where the official noise is, right? We all anecdotally know where the noise is, but we have to officially show based on federal thresholds, where that noise is. Um, and then the second half of the study, which is the part we just finished is where you say, okay, based on these maps, what can we do to improve noise? The one caveat to that is you can't enact any restrictions, right? So you can't ban someone from flying. You can't ban a certain type of aircraft or a certain time from people flying like that. So what okay. we propose is a number of flight procedures. Probably first and foremost is we have a pretty much a universal 2000 foot hold here. You get cleared to in, almost any aircraft that gets cleared for departure here is going to get cleared to two thousand feet and hold, okay. Um, before they get handed off to the next tower, we believe that keeps aircraft artificially low over some of our neighborhoods, and we think that there's a way that we could we should be able to increase that, whether it's to three thousand feet, four thousand feet, five thousand feet. That remains to be seen that's one of the one of the main pushes but there's others too we want to institute um, opds optimized profile descents which are sort of a powered down glide in approach rather than a stair step approach which is power down power up power down power up and you're hearing that if you're on the ground you're hearing these planes stair step down from ten thousand feet as they come in mm-hmm. increasing the glide slope and some other things like that where we think none of them will completely solve the problem but they will all make a difference and if you can make a little bit of difference here and a little bit of difference here and a little bit of difference here they all add up to make what we believe and what we hope will be a noticeable difference for the community
0: that but all
1: those sense things sense. have to be approved by the faa and so you go through this well for us was a neat we had COVID in the middle right but what mm-hmm. was for us a, a three and a half year study process wow. Um, wow. we, we yeah. have the kind of dual benefit of having COVID, which Mm -hmm. obviously derails a lot of your public outreach, because public outreach is a huge part of that study process. Um, And also, we're a very, very seasonal community. And so we try not to do the bulk of our, especially on something important like that, the bulk of our public outreach or important decisions during our summer months when most Mm -hmm. of our residents are gone not only for the perception that we may be trying to hide something but also because we would genuinely and legitimately want their input if we're Mm -hmm. suggesting something and nobody wants it Mm -hmm. well why bother to go forward with it yeah Um, we try to avoid making any significant decisions or outreach efforts in those summer months when when our population is so much lower so that kind of hampers us on a time brain perspective but Mm -hmm. it was a great process we had almost a thousand, I think over a thousand comments at the end. We had over a hundred suggestions for, for, um, recommendations from the public that should go into the study. And ultimately we produced, I think about two dozen that got submitted to the FAA and in the kind of three different categories. And so that was a huge part of our, of our process uh, from, from the outreach and the communications office to, to get through that. And as we get through that now. (laughs) We've got others, other items, other big ticket things that are going on, but but we do get out and we do a lot of presentations. We we represent the airport at a lot of events. We're big in our local chamber. We sponsor a lot of things, a lot of community events, whether they're parades or well, we did a fishing tournament recently. That was a fundraiser for for someone who unfortunately passed away. And we do a lot of those things just to try to be out there in the community and and things that we can do that benefit the community as well. Whether they're aviation specifically related or not, we always look for ways. And then one of our other goals too is to, it's in our strategic plan is to inspire the next generation of aviation professionals. And so we have a great scholarship program here through the Ray Foundation that offers flight training for local high school students. We have a great partnership with Collier County Public Schools. They have a technical high school and then a technical college that has an airframe and power plant mechanics program. So we try to partner with them. They're actually likely going to be the sort of beneficiary of the five K that we that we will do right. to try to fund those kind of programs. We do a lot with Collier County Public Schools and even some of the local private schools as well. But anything we can do to to get kids interested in aviation, we all know, right? That there's a huge pilot shortage. And yep. not everyone, not every one of those kids is going to grow up to be a pilot, but if you can get some that are interested, you know, and the Ray Foundation is great with, you know, they'll get you your private pilot's license. It's on you after that. But if you don't <laughs> get that, you're not going to go to your instrument, your commercial rating sure. and things like that. So, um, and some people may take that and say, well, this is great. I'm done. Mm-hmm. Um, and others may say, oh, wow, I want to go. I want to be able to fly those business jets out there or the Boeing's and Airbuses for commercial airlines or the military. Yeah. And so it's awesome. a it's a great program. It helped kids get their foot in the door, especially for those who, you know, what, twelve, ten, twelve, fifteen thousand dollars for private pilots license is, yeah. is not affordable for some members of our community and not and not possible. And if you can get that for free, yeah. you can inspire a more diverse and different group of folks that may not have otherwise either known or had the ability to try.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. And you said that's called the Ray Foundation.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a great program. It's the the Ray Foundation. It was founded by a, a gentleman named James Ray, um, who was a World War II soldier, actually. Uh, before that, he was a farmer. And as I understand it, he he developed a, a vaccine for cattle wow. and then went away to the war. And then when he came back, didn't realize how successful that vaccine was and had a lot more money than when he left. Nice. And so he's gone on. Had, he's Unfortunately, he's passed away since then, but he's gone on to sponsor a lot of different local... Um, charities as well as in his his other home to sponsor different uh, charities and organizations there. But the Rick Foundation here in Collier County, if you're a high school student in Collier County and you have a, I can't remember what the exact GPA is, you you can get your free private pilot's license. That's and you wonderful. can do it here at the Naples Airport or down at the Marco Airport or in Motley, oh. anyone that has a has a flight training program.
0: Oh, that's awesome. for For those of you listening, I'll pop that down in the notes at the bottom so you can see the link. I'm going to just pop back just a moment for the noise piece of it. Like if you're a scheduler dispatcher, if you're me and I want to go to the Naples airport, can you run me through? I know you said it's voluntary, but can you run me through the basics that you would like our pilots not to do? Sure. So timing wise, I think it's a big deal. We
1: have a we have a voluntary curfew. Again, it is voluntary, but we certainly appreciate the the efforts that the folks have made. It's 10 p.m. to 7 a.m., which mirrors the FAA's definition of night. Uh, It doesn't matter if it's the summer months when it gets dark at 5 or the winter months where it doesn't get dark until 9. That's our curfew time that, that we have. We've developed here internally a program to promote it. It's called our Fly Safe, Fly Quiet program. You can't literally go anywhere around the airport without seeing it. It's on my my cup here Oh yeah, Uh, it's on everything that that you will see around and it's just a promotional thing to remind people about that it's our commitment to the community to do with as best we can and and because of it i think we've had a lot of great success our our number of curfew operations is down i think over 40 percent this year compared to last Uh year and a lot of that is due to the commitments and the efforts of a lot of our big operators here Mm -hmm. Um, NetJets is one of the biggest customers here. I think they're one of the biggest customers everywhere. Probably, (laughs) yes. But they're one of our biggest customers here. This time last year, they had over 200 curfew operations. Their CEO made a commitment to to doing better. And now this year, they're down 85%. They, They have 17 this year. And almost all of those came that week between Christmas and New Year's, which for us is like the Super Bowl. We'll have three, four, five, six hour ground stops and ground delays to try to get in here. So that, that makes a huge difference. Some yeah. of our other operators are down, especially our big charter ones like Elite Jets, which is a locally based charter operator, even FlexJet, okay. who both of them are down, I think, 30 and 50 percent compared to 2022. And these are not, you know, we, we, I really like to highlight these because we certainly, 100 percent, we appreciate the efforts that they make, but they didn't have to do that. Right. Yeah. They, they probably are making decisions that are not in the best interest of their bottom lines and from a business perspective. But they made that decision and that commitment to the community because we asked, mm-hmm. but because they know that it it is important. It's important to our local elected officials. It's important to our residents here. Many of whom obviously are their clients. Right. And to and to the airport. And our board of commissioners, and so I, I can't thank them enough for the efforts that they've. made. And it's not just those three; there are others too that that have made a difference. Um, and that has made a, and that has resulted in, in I think thirty or thirty five percent fewer noise comments this year from the public. Um, That's huge, you know, not getting those things. And, and look, I get it from the public's perspective, right? If you're asleep in the middle of the night and a jet goes roaring overhead, it, it is going to be impactful, and it could wake yeah. you up. You know, during the day, if you're inside, there's a dump truck going down the street and there's a guy cutting the grass next door and you got your TV on and there's other ambient noise around that you may not hear this much. But at night, especially in an area like this where everything closes by 10 o'clock, right? There's no, there's no clubs. There's no, this is not a, a nightlife kind of place where everything is closed. People are asleep. And when someone goes over at 11, 12, 1, 2, 3 in the morning, and and we found too, it really is kind of the beginning and the end of the curfew time. It's that 10 to 12 time frame, and really that sort of five to seven, because those are the times you're not sleeping as soundly. You're either just going to sleep or you're kind of preparing to wake up. Mm-hmm. And at two in the morning, you're probably more likely to maybe potentially sleep through it. But at six in the morning, It's probably going to wake you up and you're also probably going to have a harder time going back to sleep because you're so close to the time you're going to wake up anyway. So it's been a lot of hard work, not only by me, certainly, but by the other folks here at the airport, we, we work tirelessly to promote it. But at the end of the day, the actual results are because our tenants, our customers, our big operators, our individual owner operators, they've made that commitment to, to improving and to not doing it as much. we, there are still some. It still happens, but it's it's certainly improving, and we 100% appreciate their efforts.
0: That's awesome. That's so great. I'm glad that you're seeing such a big difference, and I'm sure that's, well, hopefully for you, you're able to see a direct correlation between what you're doing, what you specifically are doing, and and the outcomes
1: there. So. I think so. I think, like I said, it's been a lot of work. It's been a lot of expense, a lot of time. Yeah. But I think at the end, we're we're seeing those results. We're seeing those positive trends. That, you know, some people point to, we, we are, like I mentioned earlier, we, our operations are down just a touch from last year. Mm-hmm. But the difference in the amount of jet traffic that we've decreased by and the amount of curfew operations, they're not even close. They, it's certainly not a direct correlation.
0: Okay. Awesome. You touched on something a little bit earlier today, too, is basically the history of the airport. So Naples has a unique history. I'd yeah. love to hear more about that.
1: It's a great, It's a great airport. I know a lot of people don't always think of, of Florida as a, a place with a lot of rich history, certainly not a long history. We know we're not the Northeast. We weren't really active in the Revolutionary War or anything like that. But, we do have a lot of history here, certainly, if you go back to some of the the native people and the and the tribes that were here with the Calusas and the Seminoles and the Miccosukees. But beyond that, This airport, we're celebrating our our 80th birthday this year, which means the airport was opened in 1943. Uh, It was originally planned in 1941. It took about two whole years to build an airport, which today I think you'd be lucky to get a meeting with the FAA (laughs) to to open an airport in two years, let alone to actually open it, build it, construct it, and and be ready to fly. Obviously, in 1943, there was really only one thing going on uh, pretty much everywhere, and that was World War II water airport here we opened and and our job was to train fighter pilots so we we trained fighter pilots for world war ii one of our kind of sister airports to the north in in lee county north of us buckingham airfield they trained bomber pilots okay and so what what they would do is obviously they did their own individual training and then our pilots practiced attacking their bomber pilots and they obviously also (laughs) got practice evading um, and so it was a kind of a cooperation between the two. But we have got tons of great stories about, and anyone who's grown up on or near a military base knows the the base, it's personnel, the families that are there, they become part of the community. Uh, and this was especially true for Naples. Uh, Naples was a, a very small town. Uh, in the 1940s, Naples, I think was about 1200 people. Collier County was about 5,000 people. Collier County now for reference is close to 400,000 people. Oh my gosh. And so That's it's, it's crap. grown quite a bit since then, but also in 1940 or 1940s, Collier, uh, city of Naples had no fire station, but the airport did. So when there was a need, the firefighters from here could go respond. When there was, as happens today, we we're, we border the Florida Everglades, yeah. um, people went out there to camp to explore to hunt just like they do today and just like today people got lost sometimes it's a big wide open flat area it's easy to get turned around well there were no other planes around except for ours so our guys would go out and do search and rescue to help locate folks and then they could radio back in and get the ground the ground search teams to go to the right area to find them Um, they provided a lot of benefits to that but the community paid it back as well too Uh, The community, we've got stories of some of the original families from town, and especially one who they knew a lot of these young men away from home for the first time in their lives. Uh, Young, probably some at least scared uh, at what they're (laughs) looking at in the future once Uh they graduate from the program. And so uh, one of the families had every Sunday a standing open invitation. Any soldier that wants a home-cooked meal, come to our house and they would do it and so it was a, a good relationship like anything right there's always bumps in the road um sure. that, that happens but it, it's it was a great thing went through through the end of world war ii and even beyond until sort of the late 40s and early 50s when the air the army realized that we didn't need a uh, 57 air bases in florida i don't think <laughs> and so they they started to one by one kind of close them and and return them to the locals. And, and for us, it was critically important. You know, we had our elected officials at the time had a great deal of foresight mm-hmm. and to realize that this small town at the very, very bottom of Florida, right. There's nothing below us <laughs> except the Everglades. Right. Um, there was no interstate that connected us to the rest of the world. There was one road us 41 that, that connected us to the outside world, both to the north and by then to the east over towards Miami. And that was it. And so the thought was, well, hey, this airport, it played a role in the economy to bring the soldiers in and all the money that they spent and that kind of stuff. But it's also going to be our our lifeline. It's going to be our connection to the outside world. And you know, general aviation and commercial aviation in the '40s and in the '50s was slow. Right, these soldiers were just coming back. Many of them weren't professional pilots yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, commercial air travel was still very expensive. But as time went on. It became more and more what the community thought it was going to be, and so we had commercial airline service here throughout the '60s, '70s, '80s, and it really helped to connect us to the world. And by the '70s, the interstate made it all the way down here, um, and so we still had it. We had other ways out, but it was it was that way. It was it was a hugely critical, and it remains so today. Uh, the The Florida Department of Transportation every three or so years they do an update. Mm -hmm. on the economic impact of every airport in the state, both commercial and GA. And ours, they did it in December of 2022. And our impact was annually on this community is $781 million. And we support over 5,000 jobs locally in the community, not directly, but because of the, the folks that come in, both seasonally and long term, but also the the jobs that it supports here at the airport, and then, you know, the families and other things out, th- out otherwise. but it it's a huge economic driver for the community. Yeah, and, and so we're we're proud to to do our part as best we can and and continue to make this a, a thriving place to live and work. That's awesome.
0: That's so cool. I love that you know all the history. and if I'm not mistaken, you might be a little bit of a passion of yours because you are part of the preservation and archaeological society. What projects, perhaps for them, that you've worked on would be your favorite?
1: Sure. So, yeah, I'm on the, the Collier County Historic and Archaeological Preservation Board. So it's, it's a board of of citizens of different backgrounds who advise the county commission on historical and archaeologically significant places historical designations other things like that and we've done a lot so we 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 provide input on developments that may be in archaeologically significant areas again this largely goes back to the native american tribes that we've had here mm-hmm. who obviously didn't build a lot of permanent structures but the the calusas were really well known for building these shell mounds so we try to protect those uh, as best we can, whenever, mm-hmm. whenever they're found. We do have a, a really interesting project right now that we're working on where up, up north of us here at the airport, but over in, in Naples, there's a, we have one of the old cemeteries and um, it's, it's been around, it's actually basically in the parking lot of a CDS now, but we, <laughs> we we've, we've fenced it off. We put some markers up, we've cleaned the, the gravestones and it, it's okay. a small one. And, and what we've also found uh in the recent years is that over down the street was what we believe was likely the cemetery for the area's african-american population so back mm-hmm. um in the teens 20s 30s when they would have been buried separately yeah um, mm-hmm. from from the the white members of society but and unfortunately, not very well marked, you know, not very well taken care of over time, Thank but thankfully not built over you know, a couple markers that are still standing. And so it's actually owned by a shopping center Everybody. who who is in the process. And we're working through the process with them of of handing that over, transferring that portion of the property to the county very so cool that we up. can then preserve it, fence it off like the other one, you know, erect some historic markers, some designations so that we can tell people, you know, again, this isn't an area with thousands or hundreds and hundreds of years of history. So when Mm -hmm. we can find those things and appropriately remember them for our residents, especially for our students, uh, to be able to understand those things as they're growing up, it's a, to me, that's a special one to be able to, to, you know, at the end it's a, it's a cemetery and and it's, it's not like a 200 year old building or anything like that, but it's Mm -hmm. still important. Yeah, sure, It sure. tells a story for better or worse, right? Why they were separated from the others. But mm-hmm. it's certainly something that we like to preserve and we want to improve on what we have now. So um, I think it, it'll be a good project as we continue to work on that from both our board side, but also working with the county once it gets to that point.
0: It sounds like a great project. I would love to hear, you know, personally love to hear uh, updates on that. I think that's that is really cool. Very cool. Yeah. So. Maybe let's switch kind of topics a little bit. This is sort of historical, but last year, Hurricane Ian, you guys got hit pretty significantly. You told me a couple of cool stories about that, but what happened during that time? And love to hear about it.
1: Last September was tough. Hurricane Ian came through as a very strong Category Four, borderline Category Five. Which for for the people who don't live in Florida or the Gulf Coast is as bad as it gets, right? Category Five. Think. Hurricane Andrew, uh, Katrina, uh, Matthew, a couple of years ago, devastating, 145 mile an hour winds, 150 with sustained winds with obviously gusts much higher than that. Mm -hmm. Um, But but what the worst thing about that storm was uh, the speed at which it moved, you know, typically hurricanes move fairly quickly. They probably go 13, 14, 15, 17 miles an hour as they Mm -hmm. move through an area. So while they're certainly devastating and the winds are are horrendous this was not that way this storm basically crawled it went across the community for a whole day Mm -hmm. um which means not only are you subjected to the winds but the winds especially with a storm that strong are so powerful what they do is basically just pile ocean or in this case the gulf water onto the land It's it's just pushing and pushing and pushing that water up. And of course, if you're on the north side of it, it's pulling the water out. So, and I know people have probably seen pictures of, uh, the Caloosahatchee River to the north of us, or, or at some points, even Tampa Bay, where essentially it's, it's empty, it Mm -hmm. it sucked all the water out Well, all that water went somewhere else. And, and for us, unfortunately, it came to Lee and Collier counties. And so some of our communities were devastated, you know, Fort Byers beach, Sanibel. They had 15-plus feet of water um, Mm -hmm. up over the roofs of a lot of the homes there, unfortunately. Um, We weren't that bad, thankfully, but we had about four feet that covered pretty much our entire airfield.
0: That's crazy. Think about that. Four feet. I mean, I'm five foot four. So that's like too much. You
1: know, and you got to remember, Florida's very flat, very low. You know, most places here, I think the highest place in the whole county is about 25 or 30 feet of elevation. It's not (laughs) very high. So when you get four feet of water, it goes a long way. Mm -hmm. So for us here, that means all of our runway, taxiway lights, all of our airfield signs uh, were underwater. We've got pictures of like waves cresting over the airfield signs. Oh my gosh. Um, Because we did have a couple of staff who stayed here at our station with our firefighters. Okay. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we also had flooding in a lot of the hangars and some of the buildings, you know, the the sheriff's department mosquito control that are tenants here they both had a couple of feet inside their buildings and so it was pretty devastating uh, obviously here at the airport but certainly in the rest of the community as well because like i said we're about a mile from the beach well everything from here to there was under one or mm-hmm. two and so it was tough uh, the sort of inspiring part of it is the the next mm-hmm. day you know if you've, anyone who's ever gone through a storm knows communication is very difficult power lines uh, telephone poles all those things are knocked down or at least the wires are disconnected because trees have fallen on them etc communication is very difficult it's hard and so for us it's difficult because we want to a check on our staff to make sure they're okay yeah are you hurt are you injured is your house okay you know whatever but but also okay well, we have jobs to do right we are a public service agency at the end of the day and we need to to do whatever well that day the next day I came in here by Probably 9 o'clock or so, 8.30 in the morning. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And there was 50 people here.
0: Oh, no way. Uh, so cool.
1: People who just showed up. Not they didn't get called. They didn't get asked to come in. They just knew they needed to be there. Now, and certainly we understood those who were dealing with their own flooding, their own damage. We unfortunately had eight, eight employees who lost their homes or vehicles uh-huh. to the flooding. And so it that was, it was tough. It was challenging for them. Um, and so we understand you have to take care of yourself and your family first, but, but for those who weren't, who were lucky and who weren't impacted, we had probably 50 or so folks that came in that day, showed up and just started working. Okay. What do we need to do? They were jumping in trucks and golf carts and anything else they could because our runways were completely covered in everything you can think of wow. branches, sure. fish, snakes, snakes, <laughs> We had a dumpster that floated in from somewhere it wasn't ours it just was sitting on the runway gotcha. just stuff everywhere um and just started picking it up uh, you know whether you were a facilities and maintenance person or you were our executive director any of our finance folks everyone you know there was just a need to do stuff and so people were just driving around driving around it was the one time you could drive around on the runways without having to talk to the tower because <laughs> we were closed yeah. and um we were and we were just Everybody was picking up stuff, and we had a help too. Our our our, our firefighters were there. Uh-huh. They were using our ARF trucks, the the big cannons on there, to hose the runways down to get the dirt and debris off into the ditches. We have a tenant here who's also a contractor, so he bought the brush trucks and backhoes to help clean the runways off too. And so it was amazing, and we were able to get reopened for daytime operations the next day that's after that so within 48 hours we were open for daytime operations nighttime was a little different because all of our lights were ruined um oh but goodness. through a tremendous amount of hard work from our staff from our mm-hmm. facilities and operations staff especially our electricians who were there doing anything they could to rig these lights together to come on but also the incredible generosity of a lot of other airports for lauderdale orlando lake charles in louisiana Uh, Mm -hmm. our commercial airport in fort myers a lot of them would call up and they said hey we've got a hundred extra lights from a project that we did do you want them sure uh, or or like in fort myers they said hey we're still closed because they were closed for another week or so uh they said do you want us to send our electricians down and we said yeah and so they came down and helped out too it's a it's a partnership it's a it's a a brotherhood, you know, it's and, great and we try to return yeah. the favor now as anytime we can. Earlier this year, Fort Lauderdale had a tremendous flooding event mm-hmm. uh, at one of their airports. So they got they got 25 inches of rain in one day. And and we were able to try to help them out with them, some of their lighting problems with some that we had even gotten too many. So we had a stockpile of lights that we were able to then pass on. And and it's important not only because from the business side of things, right, we want to be reopened for business, but mm-hmm. we had tons of people who had evacuated, who wanted to come home. They wanted yep. to see if their house was still there mm-hmm. or what their community looked like. We had a, the amazing generosity of a community that had just been hammered by mm-hmm. a major hurricane. But when they knew that up in Lee County, because not only did Lee County get the flooding, but they got the worst of the winds too, Mm -hmm. that there were some of our barrier islands, Sanibel, Pine Island, Captiva, that the bridges had collapsed and they were cut off from the mainland. We collected from our community here, from people, again, who were still dealing with it, mostly didn't have power, didn't have, weren't a way to charge their phones or run their air conditioning or anything like that. Mm -hmm. We collected 18 pallets of supplies to donate to them. Wow. We had firefighters flying in from all over the state and all over the country, line crews, um, tree, tree trimming companies who were coming to help clear debris. I mean, and a lot of it came through here. So uh, this is not the only hub. place, but certainly an important hub for relief efforts uh, yeah. in, in the community. And we did the same thing, what's about six years ago now when Hurricane uh, Irma went through, so we've all oh. learned um when we get to I this year, we're all leaving. <laughs> but Irma, Ian, we're we're good. The next the next time we're we're all leaving when it gets to I. So and we are in hurricane season now. Uh starts in right. May. And so we're we're prepared as best we can be, you know, and we've learned a lot of lessons from that. But it's certainly something that we we are prepared. We hope we don't have to. Certainly, right, but but we're prepared to do what we need to do, both you know, for the airport and for the community, if it mm-hmm. happens again someday, Wouldn't, but not this year.
0: Yeah, don't, not not this year. That's too many many years down the road. That's a really inspirational um story. I mean, it's so cool how everybody just shows up and helps.
1: Yeah, and, nobody got called, nobody got asked to come in, or or required. Actually, I had mm-hmm. to drive through three police checkpoints to get here. Because they were trying to keep the, the Naples police and Collier County sheriffs were trying to keep people out of who didn't have a reason to be there mm-hmm. out of yep. the most impacted areas because they were trying to prevent looting, which is always a problem when you have these kind of storms. Uh, people go through and start picking because I know a lot of people have evacuated. They're not around. And so we we all carried these. Cards on our airport IDs about being an essential employee and heading to the airport and whatever, and and it was fine. We were let through uh, three three different times. I had to go through one, and I know other people were the same way to try to to try to get here just because you knew it was the right thing to do, not because you were required to, but because you knew there was help, and there was work to be done.
0: Well, and it seems like you have fostered you and the and the airport itself has fostered that community feel for a long time. And so it's not like you're you're trying to accommodate for the, them, the uh, accommodate the noise restriction, you know, and be a good neighbor. And so then it's, you know,
1: yeah, it's it, it certainly something to that we we focus on, you know, not only for that sort of disaster relief, but just in general, we, we try to do everything we can to be a good neighbor to the community. Mm-hmm. We certainly still have issues it's not, it's not a perfect situation, right? We, we have issues with some parts of our community that we continue to work with and will, and will continue to work with as we go forward and, and look for new ways to work with them and new ways to make improvements for noise. You know, we're, we're as committed as we can be, you know, both in terms of the, the work that we do and the things that we try financially. Um, you know, we spent a couple million dollars on that noise study We're we're now going into a, Another project to design some of those flight procedures that will pay for, to, so that we can submit them to the FAA. I mean, we're we're doing everything we can within our ability, and and as a lot of folks know, airports had a lot of flexibility to enact restrictions and changes and policies before 1990, and in 1990, Congress passed ANCA, the Airport Noise and Capacity Act, and it essentially took away all authority from airports and airport sponsors, That's and good. so. I, that's one of the things that we try to do as well on our end is to explain that to people. A lot of people think, well, we as the airport have right. the ability to just say, don't do this. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. Use this runway because we have we have two different runways. You know, do, go there, go this place, fly this direction, fly higher. You can't come in at this time. And and we don't have the ability to do any of those things. Okay. Um, it would be illegal for us to try to go out and restrict in any way that Mm -hmm. unless we go through this process and so it's just a misunderstanding it's a misconception that some people in the public have because it is very technical and you might think that an airport would have that ability Mm -hmm. uh, and that authority to do something like that and so that's that's a big part of it's a part of what we do is to try to clear that up and explain that to people and it's not always what they want to hear obviously but at least they know the situation they know we're not just ignoring them because we want to make more money or something like Mm -hmm. that which is what we usually hear
0: sure well, that's why your position is so, com- so important uh, to the airport. Well, Zach, it's been so great talking to you today. In case somebody has questions, maybe about the Hurricane uh, Ian or, or the Archaeological um, Preservation Society or the airport, well, how do they get a hold of you?
1: Yeah, I'm happy to talk to anybody out there, um, especially if you do anything with noise. If you have great ideas that you'd like to share that have worked for you, or if you want to hear about any of the stuff that we've done or are doing, you can get me on on LinkedIn for one. Um, and then our, our airport has our own social media. They're, they're all uh, Naples Airport APF, which is our call sign. And then even my email, I'm happy to give it out. It's uh, Z as in Zach uh birch d-u-r-c-h at flynaples.com and uh and feel free to reach out you can catch up and connect and talk about anything you want like i said i spend most of my time talking about noise but i'd be happy to talk about history too or literally anything else
0: that sounds awesome all right well i bet you you get some people to reach out to you thank you again very much zach and yeah i would love to check in with you again to see how uh, your projects are going all right. So thank you soon.
1: for taking the time. Appreciate it.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Zach. Thank you for listening. Please stay tuned for more episodes and check out our website for up and coming podcasts. This has been a production of the Business Aviation Collective sponsored by LT Aviation.